Hi, friends. It's Garth Williams from the CBAC. Today, we have a brand new episode of Unexpected Leader to share. But first, I've got to say, wow, what an unexpected season this has been. When the COVID-19 pandemic began to take hold in our part of the world, we recognized the wave of decision-making and information was overwhelming for many CBAC leaders. As a result, we didn't want to distract from the current context or to be tone deaf. And we didn't want the stories of these young leaders to get lost in the sea of content being shared. So we decided we'd take a break. And since mid-March, we experienced the weight of the pandemic, a series of tragic events in Nova Scotia, and then most recently, the ugly reality of racism, injustice, and prejudice against Black, Indigenous, and people of color in our neighborhoods. The wave of revolution and protest sparked by George Floyd's murder in the U.S. remind us of the ongoing need to address systemic racism in our power structures, society, and church culture. And it calls each of us as followers of Jesus to self-examine, identify, and confess the sin racism so that we can be part of the solution and not the problem. More than ever, our world and our churches need leaders who are Christ-centered and responsive to his call on their lives. And telling stories of God's invitation is also something we believe to be crucial for this moment. Starting today, we'll be releasing three of our final episodes of this season, in which we heard from young emerging leaders in our CBAC family. Let's take time to listen and honor the gift of their stories of God's invitation on their lives. We look forward to a new season this fall, where we have conversations to explore what it's like to lead in unexpected times. As always, thank you for listening. This season, we've chosen to have conversations with our younger leaders about their unexpected journeys in ministry. We're excited to share with you their stories of how God has called and used them in the lives of the people they walk with. The world that is so natural to them seems so far removed from the one in which I started out in. Their wisdom and experience is so helpful for our families of churches, and by sharing their stories, we can all move toward being better leaders and followers of Jesus in this moment in time whether we ourselves are new to the journey or have been on it for a while. Thanks for listening in. We want to welcome you uh, back to the Unexpected Leader podcast. Thanks for taking the opportunity to download or stream this session. I'm Garth Williams, your host, and I'm joined today by Ron Scott, who's sitting in for Lois Mitchell, who's not able to be with us uh, at this recording. Ron, good to have you. Thank you. And Ron and I have the pleasure of being joined by John and Hannah Bartlett. John and Hannah, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Garth. John and Hannah, just as we get started, um, maybe for our listeners, you can give them a sense of where you're at in ministry right now, what's going on in your lives as, as you prepare to serve and uh, are serving. Sure. So we're actually currently both students at Acadia Divinity College in Wolfville, Nova Scotia. I'm doing my Master's of Divinity in Next Generations Ministry, and John is also doing his Master's of Divinity uh, part-time. The past two summers, we have been at Cornerstone Baptist Church in Cornwall, Prince Edward Island. Island. I've been serving as the director of student ministries, and John had a chance last summer as well to serve at the Stratford site of Cornerstone Baptist Church. When you were in high school, take us back to grade 10, 11, or 12, as you were preparing to graduate and to kind of see the world before you, were you thinking of ministry at that time, or were you planning for something else? Maybe John, we'll start with you. Uh, yeah, in high school, I 
really, to be honest, it wasn't really on my radar. I was uh, just playing basketball, working away at school, and um, it just wasn't in the picture. But uh, I began to really be impacted and desire to go further in my faith as things in my friend group and in the local community where I was at the time in Salisbury, New Brunswick, just, you know, as, as they were going through difficult times and uh, myself dealing with depression, God really stepped in and began to turn my life around in that way. And it wasn't until I actually um, moved on to university that I began to consider a ministry call. Hannah, what about you? Uh, for me, I would say in high school, for the first half, no, I was not considering a ministry call. I was raised uh, in church at the Journey Church in Moncton, New Brunswick, uh, given so many leadership opportunities there and always loved serving, but never thought of it as almost like a full-time thing that I could do. But in the summer before grade 11, I started working at Camp Tilakadik as a cabin leader. And I just fell in love with doing ministry there. I came back from that summer into my church, uh, started helping to lead youth group, middle school youth group, and got thinking to myself, I want to do this for the rest of my life full time. Like if I could make a job out of doing this, I would be the happiest person in the world. And that kind of set me on my ministry track from that point forward. So as you guys began that journey to kind of say, okay, you know, for Hannah, for you out of camping ministry, John, for you kind of seeing things develop in your own personal life, but also around with your friendship group, were there individuals that you can kind of point to and say, this was someone who helped me process this through. This was a significant individual who I was able to have conversations with that begin to help me crystallize that call or to really dive deeper into that. Sure. So um, the senior pastor at the Journey Church, Dave Morehouse, uh, he would be someone who I would say had one of those I see in you conversations that we talk about who gave me opportunities to lead and to serve in ways that I didn't think someone who was 15 or 16 could do at that time, you know, preaching sermons and uh, leading in basically every way you could in church. So I really just loved and appreciated that. Uh, at the same time, the next generation's pastor at the Journey Church at the time, her name is Jen McWilliams. Uh, she had very similar conversations with me as well. Uh, she let me essentially coordinate the middle school youth group and then when I was at university the high school youth group and just really came beside me and said this is something that you can do so they were both very strong voices in my life oh that's great John what about you anyone you can identify or think about well um, after I decided to go to university which uh, was funny because I was on track to play basketball in university although I wasn't nearly at the skill level yet I was training with a professional and hoping you know to kind of get on the team preferably in my first year but then I was looking at uh, applications for Kingswood University in Sussex, New Brunswick, kind of looking at this stirring in my heart, this interest in theology and this interest in spiritual formation. And then I also noticed they had a basketball team. So I thought, okay, great, you know, I'll go here. So I, I felt kind of tricked into <laughs> getting into the ministry sphere because I got to Kingswood and uh, it was a fantastic program and the, the team was good, but suddenly I was there and these initial stirrings and desires to learn more, all of a sudden it was like, it was like a window was thrown open, you know, or the or curtains drawn back when I, I got to the school realizing there was so much to learn and that I was so interested in all these different spheres of ministry. And uh, one of my dearest friends and, and mentor, uh, Matthew uh, Bayergeon, um, another graduate of Kingswood was there and he was there and helped me walk through a lot of the, uh, the hurts and the healing that I'd experienced through high school and through uh, my struggles with depression. And he, along with, um, well, really that whole community 
community. Uh, but he really affirmed in me uh, God's calling in my life, um, affirmed in me hope for what could come next and what God could do with someone such as me. So I think that would be someone that I would really put my finger on that has made a huge impact in helping me take the next step. So sometimes we may have this sort of script in our minds of what a call from God ought to look like, a call into vocational church ministry or camp ministry, whatever that is just going to end up being. What has maybe been surprising about uh, your stories in terms of how you began to transition into um, this new path that you felt God was calling you on. What was maybe surprising about that that scenario? Did you think it was going to happen later or earlier? Or what was just something that, that you could share that was maybe unexpected about that? Well, I don't know that any part of our journey since we've been married, we've been married for three years now, has been expected. <laughs> I'm not sure that we thought we would be getting in as deep as we have. <laughs> this soon. We moved to St. John's, Newfoundland two weeks after we got married to co-direct at Newfoundland Adventure Camp. That was a total surprise. That was not a ministry that we were expecting to get involved in. I think we heard about it in March and ended up going at the end of May, (laughs) which sounds crazy now that I think about it. I had planned on doing my MDiv at a different seminary and that ended up not panning out. So total surprise for us to be just kind of right in ministry, elbows deep to begin with. Total surprise for us as well to get the phone call from Phil Woodworth from Cornerstone Baptist in PEI saying, hey, we're looking for a next-gen person, and do you think that maybe you would want to apply for this job? That was just a total surprise. We never thought we'd end up in St. John's. We never thought we'd end up on Prince Edward Island. I honestly never thought I would end up here at Acadia Divinity College studying to do my MDiv, so it's been twists and turns the whole way through. Yeah, so as young leaders, thinking about the context that you find yourself in in ministry in PEI, what have, what have been some highlights for you both in, in ministry there, especially as young leaders? What's been really pivotal for you guys to thrive in that context um, under the leadership there, working with volunteers? What's been awesome about that? I think specifically at Cornerstone, it's been fantastic to see these uh, amazing men and women who have been pastoring there for such a long time, who have such a, such a value for relationship, for family, for ministry, and walking alongside of people in the good and bad. It's been so great to have them emulate what it looks like to thrive in ministry, to do it well, to do it long term. Uh, it's been very encouraging for us as we've been getting started because we've been starting, you know, we kind of hear the narrative of how difficult ministry is and how it's going to be so painful for us. And as much as we um, accept that, when looking at ministry, we kind of hoped, well, maybe, you know, God will do something amazing, something crazy. And it's been phenomenal to listen to the stories of uh, people such as Phil and listen to how God has brought them through so many different things with what little um, they've offered, how God has just multiplied and really impacted and changed so many lives there. Piggybacking off of that, it's been so great to see a healthy church culture. And that's not to say that there are not hard days or hard times. Uh, Every church gets affronted with things. Um, Every congregation goes through really tough times, but they have developed uh, just a way of depending on God and focusing on relationships that for me has been amazing to witness as a young leader. I would say as well, 
just the freedom that that leadership has given us as young leaders to experiment and to take risks. Uh, I, my first summer at Cornerstone, I got there thinking that I was essentially going to be told what my program was going to look like for the summer. And instead, I was told, here's the budget that you have. What are your big ideas? What are your dreams? Go execute them. And if you fail, we'll be there to help you clean it up in the end, <laughs> essentially. So being given that freedom to fail and being given a trust from the outset that what they wanted me to do, I could handle. And maybe there was even something that they hadn't thought of that I, I would think about to do. It's really awesome. When you process that through, how does that begin to shape you in being an influencer in the lives of those that might be in your youth group, maybe those that are you're studying with uh, in the future, those that you pastor and lead? How does that begin to shape your understanding of discipleship and raising up another generation or releasing a generation into ministry as well? Yeah, so uh, we're big fans of the equipping culture, and this is why this is a great fit for us as well, because we are now looking at our students and saying, you have the gifts for this, and we're not going to wait until you're an adult <laughs> to do this, but we're going to get you doing it right now. Uh, like I've had students approach me saying, can I come up and do the announcements with you on Sunday morning? Or uh, we have young people who lead worship in our church. There are students who I would love at some point to uh, do the pastoral prayer in the service. I just got to get them practicing that a little bit more before they're maybe confident enough to do that. But even within our own youth group setting, to have students who feel like they could take a leadership role in leading games or leading small group, giving them that same trust, I think, that they're able to do far more than we ask or imagine or expect uh, with God has been really, really great. So when when you, as you process that through and, and kind of allow it to shape your understanding of, of a discipling or an equipping culture. When you have conversation with your colleagues, have they had similar experiences to you or do they kind of look at you as maybe you guys are unicorns in, in that you've had these rare opportunities that maybe other people haven't had? And just as you think about that, obviously I'm asking that question for a reason. And the follow-up question would be, if we've got pastors who are listening to this podcast and they may be identifying young leaders in their church context, how's the best way for them to give opportunities or to raise them up? I think um, one of the best things I ever heard from Dr. Laurel Buckingham when I was at Kingswood in his uh, leadership group was, if you can find someone to do something you can do 80% as well, let them do it. Um, and it's not to say that, I mean, in reality, that person may be able to do it even better than you. But at the time when you're looking at the scenario, you're weighing the risk and saying, ah, do I really want to let this person step into this role yet? You know, and kind of thinking how it could go well and how it, you know, could potentially kind of botch it up. I would encourage you to take the risk because I have been surprised. And I think, yeah, and amongst some of my peers, it's been some real gifts have been given to me by the amount of responsibility some leaders have given to me. I kind of surprised and saying, uh, I'm in charge of this. What, what do you mean you're not gonna be here? Like, but then being able to take a swing at things and then have them come back later and encourage me in what went well and provide some feedback uh, for improvement and call me out on mistakes that I made. I, I think that's made all the difference in just that risk and confidence in the potential that they see in me, even if the skills and competency were still in development and are still in development. 
Can I just be like a little real? Okay. Absolutely. I would say we are not unicorns in terms of our gift set. Just because of what we're doing now, most of our friends are also training for ministry in some capacity or have just started in ministry. Mm -hmm. And... The way we are unicorns is in the sense that we do not always hear the same narratives coming from our friends who are equally, if not more, gifted than us from the church context that they are in because they have not been given those same opportunities to lead. And it grieves us to see that. And sometimes we we go, why are we here at this church? Like we could have easily been put in a different context, kind of like some of our friends. But what I would say would be, please let them lead. Please give them the chance, like John was saying, give them the option to take risks and have that approach of, you'll be there to catch them when they fall. You're there to back them up. That's something I, yeah, I really appreciate about Phil is that he really does have your back and we, we both feel that very much. But I just mentioned that because it's a grievous thing to see some of our peers who are so gifted just not having those same opportunities to use their giftings. Are there things that someone in your stage of life and, and age, um, what, what advice would you give other people who are in that similar stage, what does it look like for them to communicate that well to their senior pastor, to their deacon's board? Could you speak into that? For us, we just come at it from the position of, we really want to learn. So, and it really is not, I know what is cool and hip now because I am the next gen leader. I mean, cool and hip is not a cool and hip term anymore, so whatever. But it really is coming from that space of, we know the context that we enter into. There is so much wisdom to glean from those places. There is so much experience to glean from those places. And maybe it is a context where you cannot come in right away and say, I demand that I want to do this and this and this, but saying, because I want to learn and because I want to grow as a leader and because it's good for me and for you and for our congregation, if I do learn and grow as a leader, would you mind if I came along and observed this and maybe the next time you come along and you help with it and maybe the next time you come along and you do it and maybe the next time it's just you doing it. But I think that coming from that space of, I just want to learn and grow is the healthy approach. I have learned in our not very many years of ministry that I know far less than I thought I knew (laughs) coming out of Crandall University with a Bachelor of Arts in Biblical Studies, which was great. But and then coming out of my MDiv, I know I'm going to know far less then than I do now, (laughs) just with the nature of what it means to grow in in Christ and in ministry. So that's one thing that I would say for sure. So, John, when I heard you speaking, it seems that you were you have an attitude and approach that you welcome feedback and that you're welcome to hear, as you talked about, the leaders kind of speaking into your life of kind of saying, this is what was good. This is, you know, you could have maybe done sharper on this or whatever. And then, Hannah, even as you talk about a culture of learning, one of the things I want to maybe ask you about is help us understand, because I'm going to make an assumption that a lot of those who are listening to the podcast are probably, you know, in my age category or, you know, so Xers or boomers. And we have lots of these wonderful millennials and uh, Gen Zs around us. And um, sometimes we struggle maybe to know how best to give feedback and how to engage in that conversation. So maybe you guys could help me out with this and help our listeners out with this. What's the best way, and I'm not asking you to speak for all millennials, but what's the best way that you receive feedback uh, that could maybe benefit, you know, a senior pastor listening to that? I think, especially in today's culture, there is a 
big void in affirmation. We hugely, every chance we get, we try to obnoxiously encourage the youth that we interact with, that we're in relationship with. Every time we connect with them, we do our best to obnoxiously say how you know great it is to see them. To the point, some of them are a little embarrassed to know us, and uh, that's fair. But I think it's difficult. I even consider my uh, dad is fantastic, and the way he gives affirmation to me is encouraging me and letting me know how I can improve, you know, and the areas to grow, which is great between him and me. That works well. Um, I've seen and witnessed, I think that the criticism and feedback is definitely more difficult uh, for the generations to process. So I think playing to their strengths, saying, you did this amazing, and glowing up those things that they did so well, that's going to help build the rapport to be able to also say, oh, hey, next time, why don't you try it this way? Or you did phenomenal this way. I think that it could be even better this way. Hannah, any thoughts on that as well? Yeah, I would say to play up the affirmation and to play down how big of a deal it was if if it was not a big deal, <laughs> if that makes sense. So in my receiving of feedback uh, when there have been situations where uh, maybe I felt like I didn't hit the mark or something could have been done differently, something I've really appreciated is those leaders who have come around and put it in perspective for me. So saying, you know what, you're right. This time, maybe you could have done something differently, but this is just one time and you're gonna have the opportunity to do it differently next time. I had one uh, ministry leader this past summer say, you know, this is a mistake you're only gonna make once. <laughs> now that you've made it, you'll probably never make it again. And I was like, yeah, that makes sense. That gives me a lot of a lot of space. And just the humor around that. If a, if a senior leader can say, that happened to me too when I was your age, that's a classic, <laughs> you know? And and maybe not all of it was your fault, but this is the kind of the part of the responsibility that you can, can take. And this is how I handled it when I went through that as well, because the mistakes we're making as young ministry leaders have been made before. <laughs> there is no mistake that's unique to us. So that I think is very important. I think it's very important to, like John said, just to affirm, just to affirm and say who you are is not your mistake, that sort of thing. And this is, once again, if you're a millennial leader, and I think this is where it comes back to us, if you have that perspective of, I just want to learn and I want to grow. I know that's a lifelong journey for me. Then to put it in that perspective of, this is just another step on your learning and growing, then that's, that's good. Along that path of learning and growing in uh, your most recent steps through education and in ministry, what has been most surprising to you? For me, what has been most surprising is learning the ministry of presence, just the importance of building relationships, just the importance of being there for people and having a ministry of presence. I think the pastoral care and counseling classes here at Acadia Divinity College are wonderful for this, but I don't know how many times we have been driving a student home in the car or we've been doing different random activities like watching a sports game or just hanging out. And just because we've been there and we have built those relationships and we've been present in their lives, all of a sudden we've had God move in some crazy ways. We've had students start conversations with us that we could never never force start or that the five steps of evangelism could have never, you know, kickstarted on their own. But just because we've been present, like I've just been surprised at how organically God uses just simply being present and building relationships, which is what I, I honestly think Jesus did. And I think that was his appeal as well. 
to do far more than we could ask or imagine and to know that ultimately it's the Holy Spirit who is in control. So we have loved our training here and it has been so helpful and so wonderful, but to never put that above what the Holy Spirit might be doing and to be listening and to be present to our students and our members of our congregation and each other and be present to what God is doing as well. That has been mind blowing to me because I almost thought, I think coming into ministry, I'd be able to manufacture some of these experiences or some of these conversations or what's the best way that I can get this many youth for this. But it's really not about that at all. It's about being present and uh, being in tune with what the Holy Spirit's doing. Yeah. And I think just the hunger these these kids have, I was always, I've always been so surprised by the, the hunger they have to know more about God's word. I, you know, I, I've just kind of heard with the the time supposedly there's no interest, but they have questions. They have questions they're wrestling with um, practically, uh, how their faith works out in their relationships um, with others of different worldviews, of different lifestyles. And they have questions, bigger questions theologically. You know, I'm just blown away driving home from a youth conference and um, hand one of the kids a Bible for 30 minutes. And all of a sudden he's got 30 questions on the book of Revelation. <laughs> and, you know, it just <laughs> sparks a very interesting conversation. Mm. But I think having that space, they, they want to know more. They want to think about these things. They want to know more about what their faith is about, um, especially these, these kids that have been associated with the church or involved with youth group or, you know, their families are very plugged into the church and it, all those kids and all those spectrums, they, they all have questions. They all want to talk about it, but it's, it's having that space. And as Hannah said, that presence, just building that relationship, being their friend, being there in their life, in their busy, crazy lives uh, helps to uh, spark and begin to start those conversations and those next steps of faith. When you think about the conversations that you're having, what would be the most common themes or threads that are part of those conversations? I think one of the conversations as I've been serving in ministry, especially with those in the church context, is I just hear this overwhelming fear of what's coming, of where our culture is and the direction it's uh, headed. I feel like we're constantly talking with people about their apprehension, you know, about decisions and changes in government and the local area and kind of this mourning of all the, the changes, these what used to be givens or presuppositions of how people would see the world. Now people are twisting and looking at things different. Yeah, constantly kind of encouraging and helping people to, maybe it's Dr. Anna Robbins kind of influence on me, but helping people learn how to engage with the water they're swimming in, how to engage with these other worldviews in sharing our faith and having a seat at the table, but not uh, demanding it or not saying, oh no, you know, let's, let's run and hide, let's scream from a corner, you know, when our rights are uh, violated, but instead engaging and finding a way to have conversation about our different perspectives and learn from those outside of the Christian faith? Uh, for me, I think conversations around identity are always huge, whether people know it or not. Uh, the big question that still looms large is who am I and what am I doing here and am I loved? And I think honestly under that umbrella, um, under that umbrella is where conversations around mental health happen. Um, something that I'm seeing more and more is people uh, even Christians asking that question 
in light of mental health realities. And something I think is actually very interesting, thinking about being a millennial leader and now thinking about our Gen Z leaders coming up as well, is that, and this is something that I've been thinking through, we have this phenomenon of the mental health crisis that's been on the rise. And among us, we are experiencing mental health issues as well. So just because we're training to be church leaders and just because the next generation will be training for that, um, that's something that is uh, very close to this generation, whether or not you're training for ministry or not. So we're going to have ministry leaders who are dealing with the realities of heightened anxiety, heightened depression, all of these things. And how do we lead others in the midst of that? Um, But just kind of my little rabbit trail is that (laughs) I believe that because we and they will face those things that actually gives them a platform to be ministers to others who are wrestling with those mental health issues that maybe other generations may not be able to provide just because they don't have the same experiences. But I I have a lot of conversations with people who say, is it okay that I have anxiety and I'm still a Christian? Does that break up my relationship with Jesus? Does it mean I don't trust him? That sort of thing. And you're going, no, your identity is a child of God, no matter what. And this does not define you, but that is what defines you. Yeah, and I would also say conversations about biblical literacy. Uh, I get messages all the time from my students who want to know what this passage in the Bible means or why was Jesus baptized or um, I had a young adult message me the other day asking about uh, speaking in tongues. What is that? Because they didn't understand. So there is an increase, like John was mentioning, in just an interest in theology and in reading the Bible and how do we do that? So for us, we find that very, very exciting. Yeah, I wish I could just respond to messages like that all day. I would love that. So... Yeah, and then finally, kind of exactly what John was saying as well, these what's next conversations. And it's funny because, John, when you were speaking, you were talking about how you feel a sense of fear. And I had a similar kind of a what's next thing going on in my head, except that I was like, oh, we're excited. (laughs) Because I feel like millennials in the church are getting excited about what's coming next because they sense that fear I think, and they sense that things are changing. And I think they even sense that things are taking a negative turn. And I think the response is, man, this is the perfect time for God to do something big. This is the perfect time for God to turn that fear around right into hope and right into redemption and right into renewal. So I hear some what's next conversations as well that are also on the exciting side. Yeah, great things and and great moves of God are rarely born out of periods of calm and and smoothness for sure. Hannah and John, I I had the honor of being a youth leader for a brief moment for you guys. Yes. Years and years and years ago, back in your high school days. Think back to those days, looking back on your former selves or looking at people who are in a very similar stage now that you would have been, what advice would you want to offer? Maybe this is just a reflection of my experience and what I craved at the time, but uh, it was that, that affirmation and love, just that value of uh, me being there. And I, I heard that, and I heard it over and again from you and other youth leaders, and it was probably those affirmations, that encouragement um, each week when my friends and I, we used to call ourselves youth group junkies. Uh, it was how we connected with Hannah because we went to so many different youth groups um, that I got to know her that way initially. But yeah, it was those voices, those um, encouraging leaders, um, just so excited to see me when you know, I'd walk in a room, even when I was feeling so bleak and down. 
asking, hey, how's it going, even though I never really responded or shared them how I really felt. I didn't feel as empty or alone when I was there and when they were investing in me and present in my lives. And I think it was people uh, like that that helped me decide to stick around. So, My advice is find wise people and listen to them. Build yourself as big of a support team as you can and go to those people for support and for life advice. Like I think about high school, so many decisions are being made and you're in such a process of discernment and teenagers are self-differentiating and they're going through all the different identities. And for me, it was so helpful to have youth leaders who I could ask questions to, to have parents who I could ask questions to and take their advice sometimes and then leave it other times. But I actually recently learned that my mom, when she wanted to say something to me, to me, she would say it through one of my female youth leaders. So they would take me out for coffee and ask me, how is this area of my life going? And yeah, I thought they were my friends and they were. Anyways, that was wisdom that I was willing to listen to. So I did. Uh, teachers who are supportive, teachers who see things in you, uh, listen to them, listen to other people in the congregation who are supporting you and who have your best interests in mind. Uh, find mentors and be intentional about listening to them. I would say that would be my advice because really that's that's what I'm the product of. It's just a great support network of people who are willing to give me their wisdom, which helped me go down the path that we're on now, which is awesome. And I would also say just hang on to that identity in Christ. Just if there's anything you can invest your time and your energy and your thought meditation in, it's that fact that you are a child of God, that there is nothing that you can do that will make a difference um, for that, you're his, and that is not going to change. And it doesn't matter what else you do, or what else you try, or where else you end up. If you're working super hard, if you're not able to do anything at all, you're, an, you're a child of God. That is what I think gets us through the highs and the lows of life and of ministry is that identity piece. Hannah and John, we want to uh, thank you so much for uh, joining us on the podcast and for the answers that you've given and the honesty and the excitement that, uh, you know, I hope it translates into the podcast, but just the excitement and the joy that you have where God has called you two together. But just my final question, we're going to give you a moment or two just to share and drop some wisdom uh, on those who are listening. Just if there was one thing that you would want to say to our listeners uh, about working with emerging leaders, what would that be? See the potential. See the potential, uh, work towards that, believe in someone who no one else really believes in. Uh, we've been so blessed to see uh, some of our youth just flourish who their narratives before, you know, were kind of, you know, uh, just, you know, troublemakers and being able to walk through life with them even just briefly and just see the, the dramatic changes, the huge leaps and bounds in leadership that they've made that have uh, surprised uh, even us in that way. Um, so please, um, it, it makes a world of a difference. That extra hour, that extra step, that extra mile that you go for each kid um, makes a difference. Um, and just be encouraged and knowing that every bit that you pour in these upcoming leaders is going to empower them and equip them uh, for the ministry, for the calling that God's placed in their lives for years to come. I would say as well, um, don't assume that someone has had that I see in you conversation. 
So you may see their potential in gifts, and this might be an emerging leader who everyone says, oh my goodness, they are an emerging leader. Look at all the giftings that they have. Look at them go. But actually, maybe maybe you've never said that to them. Maybe no one has ever said that to them. So don't assume that someone has had that conversation because one conversation like that can change a life and make such a big difference. So I would say if you see that leadership potential and if you see them growing as an emerging leader, tell them that. Tell them that you see their leadership gifts. And then as you see them growing, tell them that as well, that you see them growing, that you're seeing um, the way that God is using them and developing them. Uh, I think those are some of the most important conversations that keep emerging leaders uh, growing. John and Hannah, thank you so much for the fact that uh, you're having some of those ICNU conversations. And uh, we're grateful that someone has had that conversation with each of you that you are called and gifted and and that God has a place for you in serving. And uh, thank you for answering that call. Thank you so much for having us. Thanks, guys. Hey, thanks again for listening. If there's someone you know who would be interested to listen to this podcast, please help us out and share it with them. And if you, yourself, or someone you know is experiencing a call or challenge from God to investigate what vocational ministry might look like, now is a good time to act on that. We invite you to go to yourcalling.ca and then reach out to us. You can reach Garth Williams by email at garth.williams at baptist-atlantic.ca. Again, that's garth.williams at baptist-atlantic.ca. Remember to take care of one another as you journey in this life. These are unexpected times. And a final note on the issue of racism, which we mentioned at the start of this episode. We also want to encourage you to listen to the voices of our brothers and sisters of color. Ask what the Holy Spirit wants to teach you in this time. Speak up when you hear or see racism happening in your family or friends or church or neighborhood and amplify the voice of the marginalized.